Lakeisha Ikigwe, and I want to welcome you to the Leader Thinking Podcast. My guest today is Katie Frizzy. She is a staff researcher at the uh, University of California at San Diego, and Katie is going to share with us her journey today, her views on leadership, and actually something really special and close to her heart, uh, a girls, women and girls organization that she is a mentor of, and you know we love mentoring here at Leader Thinking, so we're excited to have Katie on the show. So Katie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, who are you? Sure. Um, well, I was born in New York City and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and I've been living in sunny San Diego for the past five years. I moved out here with my husband, Brian, and we live in Ocean Beach, and we love it. Awesome, awesome. Um, and you're, it's in, you're, it's San Diego is such a beautiful area. For uh, those of my listeners who haven't had an opportunity to visit the area, I say take a trip and come to the beach because it's wonderful. Absolutely, um, it's beautiful. Explain, us, uh, explain to uh, our listeners uh, what you do for work. Sure. Um, so I work in a pathology lab at UCSD, and we study, in particular, diabetic neuropathy. Uh, so diabetic neuropathy, is, most people can figure it out. It's uh, when you have diabetes, the first thing that tends to go wrong is that you either lose or gain sensation in your extremities. The loss of sensation is dangerous because you can hurt yourself and not know it. And the gain in sensation is often extremely painful. And both these positive and negative symptoms are called neuropathy. And so we are working on drugs that prevent the very early stages of the neuropathy and hopefully regrowing or protecting the nerves in the skin so that we don't have the bigger problems like loss of blood and amputation that comes farther along in the disease. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I love that because with the obesity epidemic um, that, you know, we're experiencing particularly in this country, but is actually becoming a global issue, um, and part of that, I think, is because of, um, you know, just uh, people living such busy lifestyles, um, they're not able to eat properly, they're not able to eat uh, or even some, in some cases afford really good, healthy food. So um, our bodies are paying the prices for that. So that is really, really important research and work, and um, I'm so grateful to you uh, for for you um, making that your life's work and what you're doing right now. So what what motivates you to do this? What made you choose this field? Well, actually, um, my mother has type 2 diabetes. Mm. And my aunt died about 10 years ago um, from complications of cancer, but she had type 1 diabetes her entire life, which caused a lot of complications when she started going through her cancer treatments. Uh, both my grandmothers have diabetes and one of my grandfathers as well. So it runs very strongly in my family, as well as obesity runs very strongly in my family. So this is something that I feel like I can do to help out the people I love most. Wow. Uh, and really, I'm sorry for you uh, on the loss of your aunt and your family um, really having to deal with this um, health issue 
Um, is there, do you believe that there's a genetic component to it in your research? Are you finding that, or, or what do you believe? Well, there's definitely a genetic predisposition. But if you are very on top of your, your lifestyle, very on top of your body, you can prevent genetics. You can prevent this from happening in most cases. Sometimes people are going to just get diabetes, and it doesn't matter on your size or your lifestyle. But in general, I have been very meticulous in making sure I keep my weight down, I keep my lifestyle active, because I know that if I let myself go, I, will, I have like a 90% chance of getting diabetes. Right, right. Wow. Uh, and... It's it, it's such a it can be such a struggle, um, but there's really such an emphasis in society now about exercising and getting healthy, and and um, I think it's uh, it, it's one of my uh, commitments uh, this year. You know, really just choosing health even over the size on a scale, the numbers on a scale or the or the size of clothing, but really just choosing um, um, health. I'm not a I'm not an exerciser. Um, but I've I've really decided that it is something that that I personally even have to to step up and do because um, there's so many other diseases that that are um, present when obesity is an issue in your life and it's just it's all downhill. <laughs> you know, there's absolutely nothing good about it. So and you know, my lab and labs all around the world, we are working on drugs that will help, but nothing will work better than appropriate diet and exercise. It, it, it's it isn't it just that simple. Um, it really so is. You've heard it from an expert, people, and um, I'm listening too, Katie. So thank you for that that advice. Um, it's really um, appropriate and timely. So um, learning that backstory about your family, um, you know, I definitely see that that would be a driving force uh, as to why you have taken on this. Is there another aspect to your mission, or would you basically say that's your mission? What What is your mission statement? Let me just ask that question straight. Do, or do you have one as it relates to the work that you're doing? Honestly, I have to say my mission statement is a little more selfish. My mission statement is to have a fulfilling career that will enable me to support myself while enjoying what I do. Oh, I don't think that's selfish. <laughs> I mean, I love to help people, and that, therefore I am enjoying what I do. Mm-hmm. But I just, I honestly love being a researcher. I love being in the lab. I love being able to figure out new ideas and new things and being able to learn every single day. Mm. I, I think it, I love that. And I think that, you know, when when people find satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment uh, in work, um, they are happier, and each individual's happiness helps make the world a better place. <laughs> just just being happy is is a contribution um, to the the greater good. So you know, I applaud that. Um, let me ask you this: In your current role as a staff researcher, are you leading a team, or or have you led teams in the past? Yes. So one of the primary uh, components of my job is we have a lot of undergraduate students that come in, and they are looking for research experience, whether they also want to go into research or they just need this experience to check off a box to go on to other things like grad school and med school. They come through our lab looking for both mentorship and experience in just science and what living in a lab, working in a lab does. Okay, wow. So then how did you learn how to lead, would you say? Were, did you have, you know, mentors or courses, uh, uh, coaches? Did you take courses? Did you learn on the job? Where do you think you received your leadership training? 
I actually can pinpoint it to two places. One, my father. My father's always been a team leader, and he's always been a leader of our family. Uh, and not in the sense that he was in control and made all the decisions, but in the sense that he loved to take all of our ideas and get the best out of his children. And I think that's what leadership really is, is not being in control, but being able to utilize the people around you to do the best that they can do. I love that. That is such a powerful distinction, and your dad sounds like a special man. Oh, he's wonderful. But the other very strong driving force, and one of the reasons that I feel uh, very strongly about giving back to young women, honestly, was I was a very active Girl Scout when I was younger. And I used to go to um, horseback riding camps where we would, you know, first I was learning, and then eventually I was put in charge of teaching other girls and teaching students and learning how to run a barn. And the Girl Scouts taught me more about uh, autonomy and personal satisfaction than I think any other program I ever got involved in did. Really? Interesting. I love the Girl Scouts. Good. So so let's segue into um, Be Wise. I would like for you to um, explain to our listening audience this organization that you are uh, a mentor for and um, explain what Be Wise does and how they might um, help support the organization, uh, et cetera. Sure. Be Wise stands for Better Education for Women in Science and Engineering. And we are a program of the SDSA, which is the San Diego Science Alliance. And we take young girls starting in the seventh grade, and they enter our program through a science-oriented overnight. And our goal is to build the skills and the network for these girls that they're going to need throughout their career. So they start in seventh grade, they do these overnights, and then we have these uh, Saturday workshops where we collaborate with STEM, uh, women in STEM from all over San Diego County, and they get to go to hands-on places. Uh, we did one at the crime lab where they actually got to handle uh, blood and semen specimens and figure out how a crime detective would go through and figure out uh, who did it and whether what this is and things like that. We have math labs where they go in and learn about personal finances. We have a robotics class where they go in and they make a hat with movable uh, components. And we just try to make it fun and hands-on, and we try to teach them that being smart and being in STEM is cool. It's cool for girls just as much as it is for boys. And they get to also meet these women that are in STEM and that care about fostering the next generation of uh, STEM women. And then we teach them the importance of building a network, and we encourage them to take down emails and ask about internships and possibly get them, you know, hooked up with the right people that they need to know for their future goals. That is amazing. I am I am so impressed by that. And and even with what you just described, they're learning how to network, it sounds like, too. Yes. That's a, actually a big focus of ours is to teach them how to network and to build them a network. And we always tell them that as soon as they're in, they have a BeWise network, and that is a powerful, powerful thing to have in San Diego. That is just incredible. Uh, let me ask you this. STEM is an acronym, uh, isn't it? Yes, I'm sorry. It's uh, Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. Okay, great. Yes. Um, so, so this is and, – and does – does uh, Michelle Obama have an initiative regarding STEM as well, or 
She yeah. has an initiative for children all over, male and female, which I think is wonderful. Uh, in particular, I'm going to focus on girls because this is my experience and what I'm good at. But I think that anyone that can focus on getting children involved in STEM all over the country, male, female, whatever, is a great and important initiative to do. Love that. Because I, I knew um, I had heard that acronym before, and I had an idea of what it stood for. Um, and I wasn't sure if it was um, sort of a federal program or just sort of current um, nomenclature for, um, you know, involving children now in, in the science and technology um, um, sciences. Yeah, um, it's nerd lingo. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> I like that. Um, so, so how can my listeners find out more about BeWise? Where can they go? And if they want to make a contribution, where could they do that? Just uh, let us know everything that we can about uh, getting in contact with BeWise. Sure. So we are a program of the San Diego Science Alliance, SDSA. And if you go on the SDSA's website, um, it's, I believe, just sdsa.org, they have uh, all the information on BeWise. We are always looking for dedicated volunteers, and, of course, we're always looking for fundraising. We are actually in a transition period right now where we're transitioning from our old directors to our new, and I, we have a, rebooted our entire steering committee, and I'm part of the reboot. I haven't been around that long. And we uh, are desperately looking for funds because our programs have always been free for our girls, and we're striving very hard to keep them that way. So you can donate straight to the SDSA through the website. Just make sure that you note Be Wise in the comments, and this way the money will go to the correct program. Great. And um, I'm assuming that it's uh, a formalized nonprofit, a 501c3? Yes. Great. Yes, so uh, um, people who make donations could um, write that off on their taxes as well. Exactly. Everything is completely 100% tax deductible. The SDSA is a 501c3 uh, nonprofit, and we are just one of the most active programs of the SDSA. Awesome. Well, I am definitely going to be checking out BeWise. I'm going to go to the website, um, sdsa.org, and um, look specifically for BeWise and um, make a connection there because I think what you're doing is just like I'm all over it. <laughs> it's just amazing. And thank you again for that um, because every uh, contribution, uh, small or large, um, adds up. And you are going to change lives of the girls, not only in the program, but then they will um, change lives based on what they've learned there, and it will have a domino effect. So I really love that you're doing that. Um, let's talk about your um, um, your experience, just different experiences that have gotten you here. One question that I really love to ask my guests is, um, did you ever have something that may have seemed like a failure at the time that actually turned out to be a gift or a lesson? Yes, I do, actually. Um, when I graduated college, it was 2008, and that was the worst year to graduate college because the economy fell apart and the market fell apart and all the jobs disappeared. So I'm fresh-faced and ready to enter the uh, working community, and I got, I got nothing. So I decided to go back to grad school, and I applied for a neuroscience uh, Ph.D. program at Georgia State, where I got my undergrad, and I uh, really thought I had it. I was 
had a letter of recommendation from the leader of the new neuroscience program, and it was very involved, and I was working in a neuroscience lab at the time, so I was a very, very good candidate. And it turns out that they originally accepted uh, 13 people to enter the program, but after the economy fell apart, the funding fell through, and they were only able to take seven. And mm. I was cut. And that was the first major failure of my life. I had never really tried and really thought I was going to get something and then just absolutely fell flat. And I was devastated. Mm. But it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened in my life because that is when my husband proposed. We decided to drop Atlanta and move to California. And I started working in the lab that I'm currently at. And I have realized now that I don't want a PhD. That would have been the worst decision for me because I don't want to be a PI, a principal investigator. PI's main job is to find the money to fund the lab. And Ah. I hate finding money. (laughs) I want it to just be there so I can do my research. Mm -hmm. And it really helped me redefine my priorities and taught me the importance of experience being much more hands-on before making major decisions. Uh, what a great, great story. And I'm, I just love sharing these experiences with people because everyone that I talk to really that has had any level of success, first of all, has had something that was um, a huge disappointment or even appeared to be a failure. I actually personally don't believe in the word failure um, myself. I I think that if something didn't happen, it's because there's something better along the way, and um, it probably um, prevented you from, it, like like you just said, um, spending time in an in, in an area or space where you really may not want to be. So it requires you to sort of step up and show up in a different way when something doesn't happen the way maybe you intentionally thought it did. I think that's an absolutely wonderful um, story. Um, were you – I know you talked about being in the Girl Scouts and that you learned so much um, about um, uh, who you are and uh, shaping your – I, I want to say you. I don't recall you using this word specifically, but it sounds to me like you really learned about leadership from the Girl Scouts, you you did say that you you had some leadership roles in the Girl Scouts, right? You were kind of taking charge of some activities and things. Right, I was a camp counselor uh, oh, okay. where I would teach the girls. But also being a camp counselor, specifically with horseback riding, uh, it's actually a pretty rigorous program that you have to go through in order because horses are very dangerous. And so, in order to be in charge of you know 200 children on top of animals that are unpredictable, it's actually a very rigorous uh, years of uh, experiences that you have to go through. And so as you move up the hierarchy, you start teaching the people who were immediately where you were and are below you. So Mm -hmm. you immediately start mentoring people below you while you're being mentored up throughout the uh, levels. Okay, great. So that was your found, what I'm looking at. So you had your dad, you had your home life experience of someone who was a great leader, you had leadership mentoring and training in the Girl Scouts, and then you yourself became a counselor and a leader. So in your work now at this level, did you have um, mentoring, you know, on the job or at work? Did you take 
courses in, in leadership? And, because I know um, academia tends to be structured slightly differently, too, or maybe not structured. Well, yeah, I guess it is structured differently, but it's also sort of just a different kind of environment. So how did you learn to lead within, within that space? So I think that I brought a lot of leadership skills in myself, and then I did a lot of trial by error, and I screwed some things up. But I have some very smart people working around me. And in particular, I feel that um, when I first joined the lab, there was a Ph.D. student, and I'm going to go ahead and throw her name out, Corinne Lee. She is one of the smartest people I've ever met, and we're very, very close friends. She got her Ph.D. Uh, from uh, the Burnham, Sanford Burnham Institute while I started working at UCSD. And she, sometimes when women start working in a space, there tends to be a, a competition, and especially with a new woman moving into the old woman's space. She never did that. She took every opportunity as a learning experience that she could teach me, and she was patient and kind, and uh, I think I took a lot of her leadership skills and passed them on to my undergrads when they come in now. You know, thank you for sharing that, and I'm so glad you honored her by sharing her name. Uh, that is so important to, to really lift people up. The, the idea of feeling threatened by someone coming into an environment who, um, you know, exhibits strong leadership capabilities, which to me clearly you do, um, even in the tone that you carry, um, I hear a leader, um, clearly very intelligent, um, and sometimes people can really be shaken by having another person um, that's qualified and talented come into the space. And I'm a believer in collective wisdom in an environment and that everyone should leverage each other's um, wisdom and intelligence and, and skill set and allow yourself to be made better by it versus threatened by it. And it's, it's an aspect of leverage. And in every instance where I've seen that implemented or heard that implemented, it just elevates the environment, and it makes it better and more successful and, in, in many instances, powerful. Um, uh, and it creates an, an enabling an environment that allows just amazing things to happen. So I am so glad that you shared that. I really ask my uh, leaders that are listening to really take from that example, um, embrace and receive the wisdom that comes into you, and then and – then, um, help them where they need help and help to groom them and shape them in areas where they may be lacking experience so that, again, the, the environment becomes elevated. Um, egos drop off and the, the mission at hand, whatever that is, is what becomes the priority and everybody gets to function at their highest and their best. So she sounds amazing and um, I'm so glad you honored her by stating her name there. She really is a wonderful person and a good friend of mine, and it really built up from a mentor-mentee uh, relationship into, you know, she's moving on, and she's got her PhD, and she's in a different lab now, and we still are very close just because we have similar ideas in life, what we want to do and where we want to go. Good, good. That's wonderful. Well, we wish her well in her endeavors. Um, so tell me this. Is there anything that you know now that uh, any advice you would give to your younger self about your career? I would have told myself, stay in college for that extra semester 
because then I would have gotten a dual degree, a dual major, and it would have done a lot and opened a lot of doors for me. But I just didn't feel at the time that I could wait tables one more semester to pay for it. <laughs> so I would tell myself to not be so egotistical. It's okay if it takes more than four years to graduate. I always had this idea that it would never take me more than four years. I might even do it early. And I don't know what I was rushing. I don't know what the big rush was. I should have just taken my time. Little One extra semester in college wouldn't have been a failure. It would have just been the addition and accumulation of what I'd learned in life and a little extra time would have made a big difference, I feel. That's, I love that. That's great. Tell me this. Is there any quote that that is really special to you or means something to you that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, be the person your dog thinks you are. That's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not, I am not a pet owner. I didn't grow up with pets. Um, but it's so funny. A, a friend of mine has a, a little dog, and whenever I stay at her house, he looks at me like, I just love you so much, and I don't know you, but I just I just want to be around you. And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Tell me what you mean by that. Well, I'm a big animal lover. I actually have a dog and two parrots, and you have to be an animal lover to live with parrots, let me tell you. Okay. But uh, when a dog, just like a child or just like a uh, anyone that's, you know, looks at you with these ideas in their eyes and they, even when I go into my be wise girls and they look at me and I'm a role model and it's no matter if I feel that I'm good enough to you know earn that uh not adoration but uh that idea about me I have to at least project the idea that I am worthy enough and that they can be too I love that yes yes I can't even say I can't add anything to that that's that's excellent advice um, and then finally, I want to know, are there any books that you feel have shaped you or helped you in your success journey that you would recommend to our listeners? I don't read a lot of success-oriented books, mm-hmm. um, but I can say there is a series. It's called the First Man in Rome series, and it's uh, written by Colleen McCullough. It's a long, kind of geeky, in-depth uh, idea of Roman politics and the rise and fall, mostly the, of the uh, Roman uh, Republic into the Roman Empire. And uh, it's interesting because it teaches you, it, it talks about different leaders and different military leaders mostly, but how and what they did throughout their lives to control the population, some of it in a good way, some of it in a bad, to change policy. And it's actually pretty fascinating to realize how many of this very similar problems that we're facing in our own time, in our own history, in our own politics that they were dealing with, you know, 2,000 years ago in Rome. Hmm. And it's called The First Man in the Room? The First Man in Rome. Oh, The First Man in Rome. Okay, The First Man in Rome. Okay, great. Um, Okay, that actually does sound very interesting. So um, uh, listeners, take note. So um, we're going to wrap this up. I want to thank you so much for your time. You, I'm so impressed by you, Katie. You are a, a very accomplished woman, uh, and, you know, I don't want to say for a young woman, but, um, you know, you are. And I'm really impressed by you, and I'm really grateful to you for the work that you're doing uh, in diabetes research. Um, I have family members that uh, are have suffered from diabetes, and um, I, I just think that it's really important and valuable work. I love what you're doing with BeWise, and uh, I 
again, we'll check out the sdsa.org website, and I will look specifically for BYs, and I am asking my listeners to do the same. And if anyone has any questions that they would like to uh, ask you concerning BYs, uh, is there a way that they can contact you that you uh, can share? Sure. My email at uh, ECSD is kfrizzi, that's F-R-I-Z-Z-I, at ucsd.edu. And anyone's welcome to email me and ask me any type of questions they'd like. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners have taken value from what you've shared with us. And um, thank you for being a friend of the show. And uh, we will talk with you again and check in with you uh, and see how things are continuing to go with you and be wise in your research. Great. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed our talk. Good. Take care, Katie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The moderator has left the conference. The conference is now completed. Goodbye. Welcome to the conference. Please enter the conference ID, followed by the pound key. Thank you. Guest ID accepted.